Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank discussions of sex and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy! He kissed me again, sweet and slow, and it was impossible not to follow him. Go where it feels good. That was silly because it all felt amazing. His lips on mine, warm and urgent, his hand tangled in my hair, other hand on my side, pulling me even closer, his body against mine, strong and insistent. And maybe my brain still didn't know the protocol, didn't know what to do, but my body did, moving with his. On their own, my legs shifted, bringing him more fully against me, thighs seemingly made to cradle him like this. Oh, hey, Claire. What a beautiful, intimate moment you're sharing with us. I know, it's just so nice. It's so sweet. But actually, we have a podcast to do. Oh, a podcast? Yes. I don't know if you've <laughs> heard of it, but we're doing one. Ooh, well, I guess let's get this thing going. <laughs> Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play Fuck, Mary Kill with the characters. So much. And all the spoilers. All the spoilers. If you've come here just for reviews, congratulations. We are reviewing books, but we're not just doing that. We are telling you the endings of them. So if you don't like that, go read the books and then come back. Not just the endings, the beginnings, the middles, the endings, the characters, the twists, our thoughts, all of it. We're doing all of it. 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 We lay Um, these books naked before you. (laughs) <laughs> we we spread them wide. <laughs> I knew we should stop this train. <laughs> That's the end of that metaphor. <laughs> Claire. Yes. You picked books for us to read. What did we read this time? Oh, I did pick these books. Uh, we read The Hating Game, a novel by Sally Thorne, and mm-hmm. Conventionally Yours, True Colors, book one, by Annabeth Albert. Okay, and what was the theme? The theme was hate to love. Good. Good. And Good. I, I can absolutely tell you that in a lot of times, I, it was more just hate to hate to hate to hate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I personally am not a fan of this trope. We can get into it when we get into it. But, spoilers, I hated one of these books and loved one of these books. So it's still a theme. It still fits. Theme! Theme! And in fact, let's do that. We'll do Hate to Love. But first... Mm-hmm. Unneal. Yes. What, what has got you hot and bothered? Oh my god. So... I know that we do our best to not be political on this podcast, but mm-hmm. an article caught my eye and I had to share it with absolutely everyone. Okay. So this article from Business Insider <laughs> is entitled, Bumble removed its political filter after people said they used it to lure conversation- conservatives who were at the Capitol riot into sending incriminating evidence. Yes. <laughs> and basically the 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 article goes further 
Basically, a bunch of women living in D.C. could tell from men's profiles who were popping up in their feed that they were there for the riot at the Capitol. And they were basically, I'm sure it took very little prompting of like, oh, hey, what brings you to D.C.? And apparently they were sending, these men were sending them all kinds of pictures, bragging about it. And then these women were sharing all of this information with the FBI. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Christine just posted in the chat, sirens luring traitors to justice. <laughs> so there we go. And then Bumble responded by, okay, we're just not going to let people say their political views right now. So, <sighs> great. I mean, I guess it just made me laugh so much. It's, it's great. It's great. So that's me. Oh, good for those ladies taking some for teams. Like, that's just very proud of them. Um, What's got me hot and bothered um, is there's been several food recalls of, of different various types mm-hmm. because they have pieces mm-hmm. of glass and plastic in them and, or just like ribbons of metal just in the food. I specifically want to point to Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets have been recalled. Over almost a million pounds of Hot Pockets have to be recalled because they may contain pieces of glass and plastic. (laughs) So just today, a friend sent me that article and I forwarded it to my roommate who eats Hot Pockets. And when I came home, he said he was taking a bite out of a Hot Pocket when he saw that text. I mean, oh no! <laughs> realized, realized he was eating a different kind of Hot Pocket than what was being called. So then continued to eat the Hot Pocket. <laughs> I mean, it's not Literally funny. Literally just like a, like with his mouth full, just like, oh? Uh-huh. It's not funny. It's, it's, it's horrific. Like, no food it's... should be sent out to people that have pieces of glass and plastic in them. No. I mean, but we all know that Hot Pockets gives everybody time in the bathroom af- directly afterwards. And that one must then spend more time. Like, that's just the cycle of a Hot Pocket. And, like, that Hot Pockets are the most lethal food already without it containing glass Yeah, they're and killing plastic. you already. <laughs> but also... It's the I, most I mean, lethal food you can eat that doesn't have glass in it. <laughs> I mean, but also here we are in quarantine and all we're fucking asking is just a fucking hot pocket because we cannot deal. And like, and they're fucking filling them with glass and goddamn plastic, you sons of bitches. (laughs) Can we have not just this one warm, gushy, diarrhea inducing thing? (laughs) With the crispy, crunchy, tender, flaky crust. That's all I want. Look, Does it... I don't want to Do you... resort to bagel bites, which have also been recalled. Oh, no. Do we know what happened? Do we know why there's glass and plastic and ribbons of metal in this food? Look, I didn't open the article. I'm going to be Great. honest. I read Great. just a lot of headlines. But just the fact that this is out there. Also, everybody, guess what? Check your check for Hot Pockets. Like, it's it's a problem. It's a problem and it's out there. <laughs> 
the world is trying to kill us. 2021 is no better. <laughs> oh, hey, Claire, what do you think my favorite flavor of Hot Pocket is? Mm, if I had to guess, it would be the pizza one. Trick question. I've never eaten one in my life. <laughs> Neil, Neil, oh, Neil. Uh, I can tell you this. They are fine. <laughs> yeah. just, they are molten I, I lava I feel like on I know inside. exactly what I'm getting into with them. <laughs> I, like, yeah, I feel, I, I feel like I know exactly what it is and I don't need it. So, I I mean, I will say though that I, there is a very specific pleasure in taking them out of their hot pocket sleeve after you've microwaved them for a while, and I don't know why. Fair, but there is. Yeah, the whole like cardboard <laughs> contraption that goes it's a it's like a whole process, and I can see how that's. It makes yeah. you feel just a little bit like you're cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone who thinks that I might be like turning my nose about hot pockets there was a point in my life that i ate so much cup of noodle that i'm surprised it wasn't coming out of my ears <laughs> so not to say that i'm above it but it i don't i feel like i don't need it look i'm all about fish sticks right now and i don't know why <laughs> i judge nobody's food choices that's fair that's uh, fair i've been having weird cravings for deviled eggs lately Oh man, so I've I've made a lot of those. Like, oof, so good. Can you send me your recipe? Because I've been buying them already made, and it's too much money. Oh, oh yeah, no. Uh, let me just tell you what: easy peasy, nine minute hard boil, uh, mm -hmm. and then cut in half, pop out the mm -hmm. yellow parts, mush, mush, mm -hmm. mush. Much mm -hmm. mustard as you want. Also, high recommend it. garlic. Just like <gasps> mush, mush, mush. Garlic, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mustard, little bit of mayo, depending on how much you like. You can also sriracha the sriracha that son of a bitch up. Also, way tasty. And then pop it in your mouth, dude. It's good to go. Great. Like Great. also, like you don't have to be fancy and like pipe it in. You can if you want to, but you can just spoon it in. Like you just like mm -hmm. take the little mm -hmm. empty white part and just go junk, and there it is. Recipe done. Great. And this has been our episode of What I'm Taking to the Picnic with Neil and Claire. <laughs> Junk done. Also salt. You need salt. Next episode, potato salad. Ooh, I don't do that one, so you'll have to do that. Let's I've never made books. it, but let's talk about some books. Let's talk about some books. The Hating Game. A novel by Sally Thorne. Debut author Sally Thorne bursts on the scene with a hilarious and sexy workplace comedy all about that thin, fine line between hate and love. Nemesis, noun. One, an opponent or rival whom a person cannot best or overcome. Two, a person's undoing. Three, Joshua Templeman. Lucy Hutton and Joshua Templeman hate each other. Not dislike, not begrudgingly tolerate, hate. 
And they have no problem displaying their feelings through a series of ritualistic passive-aggressive maneuvers as they sit across from each other, executive assistants to co-CEOs of a publishing company. Lucy can't understand Joshua's joyless, uptight, meticulous approach to his job. Joshua is clearly baffled by Lucy's overly bright clothes, quirkiness, and Pollyanna attitude. Now up for the same position, their battle of wills has come to a head, and Lucy refuses to back down when their latest game could cost her her dream job. But the tension between Lucy and Joshua has also reached its boiling point, and Lucy's discovering that maybe she doesn't hate Joshua, and maybe he doesn't hate her either. Or maybe this is just another game. That's what it says it's about, Claire. What is this book about? Okay, first, we need to have a discussion about unlikable characters. Um, yeah! Because... Because it is possible to read a book about unlikable main characters and still really like the book. Um, there are things like, um, I don't know, like, uh, uh, let's say Lolita. The book Lolita. The main character in that mm -hmm. book is a literal pedophile mm -hmm. and a rapist. Mm -hmm. And you can still enjoy the act of reading the book or get something out of it. Mm -hmm. um, that's a worst case scenario. Or at least it was until I fucking read this book. And let me tell you what. I hated these goddamn people so much. And there was, there was a point at the beginning where I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to pretend I'm watching a cartoon. Because all, everything about this is so insane. It would feel more sane if it was a cartoon. Because then I could forgive them. And then mm -hmm. you know what? I couldn't. It got worse. And I was like, no. No to this. And I... It was, and then the ending, and then the ending came and just shat itself all over the rest of the book. And I was like, you can fuck the fuck off. I was so goddamn angry. And I feel like this is, ah, uh, like I'm not being very clear right now. And I am, I know I'm not like talking out like, but ah, uh, ah. Uh, Who cares? Like, there were just things. Of, I was like, Okay. Do you One. want, really fast, something that'll make you even angrier, in case you haven't noticed yes. it yet? Oh, this, uh, what is it, the soon-to-be motion, major motion picture that's coming out about this? goddamn book is being made into a goddamn movie. Okay, Amazon has been pressing this book on me. Pressing this book on me. I've seen this book all over the place. I've gone to bookstores, and this book has been like read me i had a lady pick it up and go this was funny and i and so like after all this i was like you know what we're gonna start off 2021 with something that all 2020 has been telling me i wanted should not have trusted that first you can't of trust all 2020 claire i cannot trust 2020 that was mm -hmm. incorrect of me 2020 and, is a lying bitch uh, one i don't know how this book made it through um editors because there were there were mistakes in this book, mistakes that we normally find in self-published books, like misplaced character things, like mm -hmm. strange, like um, uh, like strange uh, misspellings and like bad grammar mm -hmm. in weird places. The things that mm -hmm. I picked up on, and I don't ever pick up on that shit. And I was mm -hmm. like, like, I'm sorry, this and was a mass market. Fuck right. off. Fuck it's, right off. It's charming. It's charming when Chuck Tingle does it. It's not charming when a major publishing house does it. 
Not at all. And let me tell you this. Uh, okay, I'm just going to spoil. We're just spoiling the fuck out of things. The next book that we read was so genuinely delightful. It made me even angrier at this book because I was like, how dare conventionally yours not be a uh, a, a bestseller on USA Today, not be pressed on me at every fucking bookstore location I've been to, not pressed on me the entire time I'm on Amazon, and I actually buy LGBTQ books and they didn't tell me to buy this book. But the hating game? Ugh! Mm. Okay, that was also, my initial conventionally feelings. yours conventionally yours the pun in the title is better indeed <sighs> that tells you everything right. you need to know i've gotten out an initial rant so <laughs> what happens tell us what happens and then i will also have rants to support your rant <laughs> okay so lucy hunton is our is the character we follow like it's her perspective the whole book this one this is not a book that changes perspectives which I thought was so weird. So we follow Lucy Hutton. I agree. Also, uh, would have been helpful. But then as I read it, I was like, oh, the reason why is because we needed Josh Templeton's uh, secret that maybe he's a good guy. Uh, he is not a good guy. Um, like, no. reserved for the ending. Okay. So Lucy Hutton works as an executive assistant at this publishing company. It went through a recent merger and uh, the mirror of her job, this young man, works literally on the other side of the room of her and has her job just for the other CEO that is part of this merger. Um, and they spend all day, every day, um, hating each other. Um, so much so that they have both actually sent HR complaints to HR. Other Multiple. people have sent HR requests because they argue verbally and out loud in front of everybody else. HR actually follows them around whenever they end up in the same place together because people are so freaked out about them being alone. That scene where they're walking through the office to the break room and everyone, everyone who sees it just like stops working because they're afraid of what's going to happen. And then it's like, oh, Jeanette came in looking like a frumpy troll or whatever it says about Jeanette. But it's like, yeah, she was tired of our bullshit. I'm like, yeah, Jeanette is the unsung hero of this novel. You are disrupting this workplace. You two are the problem. 100%. And I will also say, like, if uh, that um, these two people are also the most boring people we have ever read in any so book. So boring. They have no lives outside of their executive assistant lives. They have no other friends. The only quirk that our main character Lucy has is that she likes Smurfs and she grew up on a strawberry farm. Uh, Joshua really Templeton's yes. when they talk about when she talks about like what it's like to be on the farm and how her mom makes like homemade strawberry ice cream every summer and stuff like that like if you go and do the day tour there in the summer I want to do it so bad oh, I want to go to that farm also yeah. also it's called Sky Diamond Farms it's named after her because her name is Lucy yep yeah yeah yep yeah <clears throat> Also, her uh, yeah. parents were adorable. 
Oh, no, her parents were great and also not great at all, because I don't know if you remember the Skype call where she had with her mother, where she finally gets her mother alone. And her mother Mm -hmm. seems literally afraid to talk about the relationship she has with her father. And I'm like, that's not that's not good. That's not good. Why are we (laughs) why are we insinuating that all relationships must be fear based? And let me tell you what all relationships in this book are fear based. Oh my god, skipping ahead, obviously, when they're taking the elevator down together because he's giving her a ride to that bar, and he decides to kiss her. No, that's not okay. Everything's not okay about this. Everything was not okay about that. She literally thought he was going to try to murder her. But it's just a cute misunderstanding because people, adult humans, don't understand their feelings, especially women. (laughs) Oh my god. And like, not only that, but like, let's say she didn't think that. He still forced a kiss on her. He picked her up Mm -hmm. with his hands, put her on, put her up against the wall and kissed her without her permission, without talking to her about it first. But then when she's like, why did you do it that way? Oh my God. We never like, okay. So the two of them like have these little power games they play at work with each other. Like, and I'm not going to go into what they are because they don't deserve the compliment of me talking about them in depth. But so they have these little power (laughs) games they have with each other. And the setup is that they've hated each other and they're constantly trying to undermine each other at work. Spoiler alert, we find out at the end of the book that no, actually Joshua has had a crush on her since day one. And um, this entire thing was just a fucking manipulation uh, because he thought it would be fun. And in fact, like the whole time he's like, you know what? Girls don't like nice guys and people just like, and so nobody likes me. And I'm like, okay, sometimes that's a fun game to play, but guess what? I don't, nobody has to like fix you. Nobody has to be okay with the night, with the, you were obviously a bad guy. You were a bad man. And everybody says that about him. So, oh. he, yeah, he, we find out the big reveal. He's loved her this whole time. And the reason why he was an asshole to her from the very first time that they met was because he didn't want to fall in love with her. But then he falls in love with her anyway. So he just continues to be an asshole, like a third grader. Like a yeah. third grader, he decides that because he likes a girl, he's going to be mean to her. And then his whole thing about nice guys is so bizarre and disturbing because the way he talks about like, oh, yeah, fucking nice guys. Oh, yeah, every woman leaves me for a nice guy. The way he says it is as if he says is saying like, oh, more successful or a bad boy or something. Yes, 100%. And it's like their fault for leaving him. And I'm like, bro, use this as a cue to, I don't know, change your behavior. But no, no, because because he decided not to be a doctor and his dad was kind of a dick about it. That means he can't be a nice guy anymore. I'm like, shut the fuck up, bro. Looking ahead to our next book, one of our characters was kicked out of his house and cut off financially while he was in college. Your dad being upset you aren't a doctor is not a real problem. (laughs) Uh, So, let me talk about... I can't. I I can't. can't. Let me talk about (sighs) the major set pieces of this book and how it's set up. So, here's these two rivals at work. We find out that there Uh is a... Uh, COO position opening up. So this chief operating officer and that both of them are going to be pitted against each other for this single role. 
and that both of their bosses want want them want their own executive assistant to get that position. Um, so that is like the major set piece of the book. Like that's sort of like what's supposed to be drawing us through. Uh, guess how soon we stop caring about that? Oh, right the fuck away! And so the thing, the thing for me is that this, like, the premise for this book is great. It's these two executive assistants to CEOs from two different publishing companies that run their business very differently, but had to merge with each other to keep each business alive. And there's this sort of contention. And then they're pitted against each other about this job. And like, I'm like, great. And the, the, the way that their office is like nothing but reflective surfaces and that they use that to sort of like look at each other without looking at each other. I'm like, this is great. This is fucking great. But then they're like, oh yeah, whoever gets this job will be the other person's boss. Which led me to believe that this author has never worked in an office because let's, let's, let's look at this a second. The chief operating officer will be the CEO's assistant's boss. False. Do you know who the CEO's assistant's boss is? It's the CEO. It's not the COO. Like, what is happening? That's not how this works. So that in itself is just like, uh, like, that was the beginning of the end for me. Um, and that's like, what, a chapter and a half in? I'm also going to say, I mean, as much as you and I have both been like... Uh, administrative assistance at higher levels where we had to do like some pretty big deal stuff and it does feel like when you're doing that mm -hmm. kind of thing like you're running the company a little bit because you have to make sure everything goes mm -hmm. um but you you were not first of all and also rarely <laughs> have i ever heard of a company um moving an executive assistant up to a coo position <laughs> like um that's that's, that's outside just made. They didn't like, have they didn't have a COO until just now. Right. Um, and like nobody was officiating the operations. I just keep thinking about all those other managers that are below the CEOs who have been passed up for this job because of their executive assistants. And they were executive All the department assistants. heads who are so fucking pissed. So fucking pissed. And I will say like you know, an executive assistant at a certain level actually is very much like on on a track towards that sort of position, but mm -hmm. I'm not at a company this big, <laughs> not like this. This isn't not at this big slash small company. I, I, this was insane to me, and I was like, fine, but whatever. Like this was the cartoon part that I was gonna just let it sort of happen. But all of this, Neil, doesn't fucking matter. What you and I are talking about doesn't matter. No. Because it doesn't matter. The day because the weekend before they're going to do this big interview, Joshua quits the job. He doesn't tell Lucy this. He doesn't let her know that she's gonna get the gig because he quit. He just lets that play out over the weekend. Over a weekend we will specifically talk about because it was the sneaky actual set piece of this book. And um, and so then at the end of this, he can just tell her, like, I quit. The job is yours, as if he's giving her a gift. And in fact, that means the whole book didn't fucking matter. Like, he loved her the whole time. 
There wasn't actual any drama. She was the insane one for not seeing how much he loved her. And he was willing to give up his, like, this job for her. And I was like, no, this is all just mind games that are hurtful and awful. So then we... This job that he doesn't care about to begin with. Right, and never wanted. So... What what do we do? And then it just goes and get the exact same job at another publishing house. Yeah. What are we doing here? End. What are we even oh. doing here? What is the point of any of this? What are we doing here? What's the point of any of this? Um, Other than to meet um, Lucy's boss, Hélène, is French and glamorous and wonderful. Oh my god, I have a thing to say about that. That, yes, she's French and glamorous and wonderful. And Lucy, to kiss up to her one day, takes out a box of macarons to, like, give to mm-hmm. her boss. Which Lucy specifically says, I have kept in my desk for a while for when I needed it. Macrons are only good for a day. They are not good for a while. You cannot just, like, have that box and you can just, like, I got these expensive fucking French treats for you that are actually have a very specific expiration date because they are made of eggs. What the fuck is French, wrong with you? <laughs> French pastries are famous for their shelf life. Famous. Famous. Like, when she's like, it's been in my I desk know. for a while, I almost threw up. And that's the dumbest thing. <laughs> but I was like, "You are you goddamn it, it, kidding me? It probably tasted like, um, I don't know, like matzah with like... <sighs> a hint of whatever flavor it was meant to be. Those things were so damn stale. But I just want to point out that when um, Hélène found out that she had a date, she's like, oh, good for you. I hope you'll tell me about it. Come in late tomorrow if you need to. You deserve the time off. Yep. I'm like, I wish I had a boss like that. Same, same, same. Um, so then, so that was the, act, that was supposed to be the set piece of the book. Like, them preparing for this interview, then going up against each other. So, like, the reason that they're rivals, and then how the rivalry plays out, and then had their feelings about that. That's supposed to be what it was. The actual secret set piece of this book was his brother's wedding. <laughs> so, we spent the entire book working up to this weekend where he's bringing her to his brother's wedding. Where at the wedding we find he just refuses to tell her that his brother is marrying his ex girlfriend. Yeah, he doesn't tell her until she finds out from that girl, and she's like, "I'm so glad you came because she was the sweetest person in this book." She was great. She was great. She was delightful, and so was his brother. Actually, they. I'm so glad that they're happy together because mm-hmm. they. And I hope they run away from this horrific family. Um, his mom seemed nice too. Oh, she seemed like an abused woman. <laughs> yeah, that that as well. That as well. So like. But that's not to say that she's not nice. True, but who is she really? We can never know. <laughs> we can never know. We spent absolute zero time on her. Um, yeah, it's funny too because it it sort of goes out of its way to set up that Lucy is very much like Josh's mom and Josh is very much like his dad. But then we see how terrible their relationship is. So it's like, why do we want them together? They're just, you know, skip ahead 25 years. They're going to be in that same wedding reception 25 years older. One of their kids is getting married to their other kid's ex. <laughs> it's going to repeat itself forever. Forever. 
So yeah, so he doesn't tell her and that. And then and then Lucy is going to have to find her son's new girlfriend in the yard to keep her from crying. Oh my god. It was crazy. It was nuts. That was it was singularly horrific. And then like Lucy, fair enough is like you fucking should have told me that. And he's like, "Oh, if I would have told you, you would have been pissed and wouldn't have come." I'm like, "Yeah, you can't emotionally manipulate people. You have to let them have their feelings and their opinions and their thoughts. I'm <sighs> sensing a theme in his decision-making process. Yes, this is absolutely a man you want to hook your fucking wagon to. <sighs> also, like, and, and I'm sorry, everybody, like, if, if you have an eating disorder, absolutely, like, don't read this book because this man has an eating disorder. And... <laughs> And it's also played off as like it's a cute quirk that he has when he absolutely has an eating disorder. disorder. (laughs) This man has an eating disorder and half of the imagery that she uses to describe her feelings to him, she equates very specifically to addiction and like substance abuse. And it made me very uncomfortable. Yes. Because I'm fairly certain. Like... Off the top of my head, I'm assuming that this author has never had to deal with addiction. I, uh, well, not if, like, not if you talk about it like that, for sure not. And there was also, Mm -hmm. like, the Mm -hmm. very specific fetish of the tiny lady and the big man. Um, She's five feet tall. She's five feet tall, and uh, he is huge, linebacker huge. Um, There's a point where he literally picks her up to take her into his apartment. Yeah. Well, she says something like, "He picked me up and slung me under his arm like a newspaper, or something like that." Right. Or, it's just or like, there's that moment where she like ugh. jumps on him, so she's just like got her legs around his waist, his heart, and then he just walks around with her like that because it's adorable for them, and that's great. But it is definitely like fetishizing that too, and so like there's like again, if you have an eating mm-hmm. disorder. Do not read this book. Do not read this book. Yeah. Also, um, she talked about how every guy that she dated before this tended to be on the shorter side. Mm-hmm. Like, she tended to date shorter guys because, it, like, the height thing was less of an issue. Because they did, like, the way that she talked about how people treat her for being her size, I believed all of that. And how she, like felt like everybody's pet and their little like you know like little and and like very precious and everything and that she was kind of sick of it and like that felt genuine to me and so she talked about how she mostly dated shorter guys because it was less of an issue in her dating life and then there was a point where she's having sex with josh and she's like and then i realized that nobody no guy i'd ever been with before had ever done it right i'm like are you trying to tell me that short guys don't know how to have sex because that is 100% 100% false. Right. No, one that's 100% because false. Also, she obviously likes that because she likes being called Smurf because her parents call her Smurf. She collects mm-hmm. Smurfs because that's her entire identity. Um, she she be- grows to like it and in fact actually did like it a little bit when he called her Shortcake, like since they first mm-hmm. met. So, no, sorry, not believing any of that other stuff. You just never met a guy who was completely horrific to you and were like, this is yeah, the one. It's, an- it's yet another example of how the love interest does, exhibits the exact same behavior as people who piss her off, 
horrible ex-boyfriends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because she wants to fuck him, it's okay. Mm-hmm. This is also like another another example of he's possessive and jealous. She has no self-esteem. And on top of that, like this is I'm noticing another trend that authors love to make their female main characters emotionally and socially isolated. Yes. Love it. Even okay. Okay, so let's let's look at uh Chloe Brown who even though she was isolated due to her health issues, she still had emotional support from her sisters, but also was like, I need to find friends who aren't my sister. And that was part of her journey. And, and that I can understand. But Lucy had apparently only had one friend who got laid off in the merger and b- blamed Lucy for not telling her. And like, every time she talks to her parents, she's so fucking homesick that I don't understand why she wasn't living back on the farm. Mm -hmm. So she has no friends. She has no real friends. She has no work friends. She considers Elaine one of her friends, which is not true at all. No. And then on top of that, she has no self-esteem. Like part of her flirting with Danny is they talk about like, like Thomas Edison or someone who, you know, and she's like, Oh, I haven't invented anything. I'm such a loser. I'm a complete loser because I haven't invented anything. Yeah, most of the world hasn't invented anything. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so, like, the whole the whole book is her being emotionally isolated and horrible to herself. And then this abusive man comes in, and because she wants to fuck him, everything's okay now. It it is insane to me. That this is what happens. One of the... It's almost it's almost as if, like, an author is padding in excuses for why their female main characters allow for this behavior yeah. from men. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely awful. And it would be even marginally better if she had an actual friend who would sit down and have actual conversations with her about like, I thought you hated that guy. Isn't he, don't you say he's mean because of this and this? Didn't he do this and this to you? And for her to like talk through that. Also, he tries to, he tries to build up her self-esteem. Like he tries to get her to stand up for herself by bullying her into it. We find out that she wants to learn how to stand up for herself more after he berates her for not standing up for herself. And she never tells him, oh, I wish I could stand up for myself. Or even because it's such a big thing that she's, that she's so short. Just like, because I feel so small, I feel that it's difficult to be taken seriously. That it's difficult for me to take up space sometimes. That it's difficult for me to be a presence who can stand up for themselves. And for her to say that and then for him to support her in that. Instead of being like, oh, no, you can't behave like that. You have to behave like yes. this. Fuck yeah. off. Fuck the fuck right off. No, it was... I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to read that book ever again, but I know we're going to read that book six million it's, more it's, times. It's coming up again. I've been saying I this... I mean, and, and it's like whenever... a bestseller. Like, other... Like, they, yes. they push this down our throats. Like, honestly, and I do mean push this down our throats, because looking mm-hmm. at this, like, pages and pages and pages that were just dialogue... There was no narrative. There wasn't even a lot of he said, she shit said. Like we, so we just knew the two of them were talking, and it was just fucking dialogue. 
And like, I was like, this isn't a play. This isn't actually a movie. You need narration. But no, I mean, any editor, I feel like any, ed like any of the editors, like the editor we brought on, or like any editor would look at this and go, no, we need more of their inner lives. We can't just like have like just fucking dialogue page after page. But nope, there's, and even the sex scenes, like I was, it was so easy to skip that fucking sex scene, which was, I don't know, mm -hmm. two and a half chapters long for no motherfucking reason, because it was almost all dialogue mm -hmm. somehow. <laughs> Unless Sally Thorne is playing the long con and wrote it to be easy to adapt to a screenplay. 100%. I'm willing to bet this part of it, but like. You and yeah. I write plays. You and I have even dabbled in screenplays. Uh, most of that dialogue was unrecoverable. Like, it wasn't like there was yeah. there wasn't any sort of sparkling lines that we could take from it and be like, oh, mm -hmm. this. Like, um, like. I will say, sorry to that point really fast. This book does have the greatest sentence I have ever encountered in my life oh. and I'm going to read it to you. So there's a point where, okay, like we need to talk about when she gets sick. Cause that's ridiculous. Well, we need to talk about that. There's also the scene in the bar where um, Danny calls her beautiful. Have to like bookmark that. Yeah. Okay. But there's a point where they're, they're out at a company retreat thing. She hasn't eaten all day. Cause, because she just can't take care of herself because she's such a loser. Whatever. Anyway, so there's the point where somebody says, your blood sugar is bottoming out. You're all white. And then the narrative says, it's probably true. And then, and this is the greatest sentence I've ever experienced in my life. My stomach makes a goblin noise. Yeah. <laughs> I read that and I felt seen. And I, see, so here's the thing. Like, I felt between the setup and some of the some of the pros, I like I was like Sally Thorne, you can do so much better. But the like, and this is something that I've been telling friends and like people that I've been telling about the podcast, and I don't think I've actually said this on the podcast, so I'm going to say it now because it has become an issue. Queer writers and women of color more often than not, all of their characters are concerned about consent. Yeah. And consent happens. Straight white ladies, less so. Yep. 95, I'd say, percent of all the consent issues that we have seen are in books written by straight white ladies. And it, I find it unsettling and upsetting. Yeah, no, very much. So, yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. And, uh, yeah, let's, um, okay, so let's talk very quickly about her first date with Danny. So Danny is a character who, um, she is the nice guy that we're supposed to, that she normally gets with, or the type of nice guy, like, that I think is supposed to be, like, our, like, the differentiation between Josh and all the normal people she dates. I don't want to get too far into... Yeah, he's a foil to Josh. Right, he's a foil to him. I don't want to get too far into Danny himself. It was a weird-ass character that never made a lot of sense. Um, that was obviously also a bad guy. Like, he was a bad guy. <laughs> he 100% he was using her, was completely unkind to her. 
And also, she was uh, the worst date. Like, I didn't understand what he saw in her because she could make no conversation at all. <laughs> so, she goes to the bar, and there she is with Danny, and Danny says she's beautiful. And then she she's like, I have to go to the bathroom, please hold on. And she's just crying. She's just crying because a man told her she was beautiful, which goes back to your, like, she just doesn't have enough, like, you know, self-esteem to really get through this moment. She has no self And then Joshua comes in because he's a motherfucking dickhead who is 100% stalking her. And he's like, why are you crying? Yep. And she's like, uh, because you make me feel like a horrible person who's ugly all day long. And Danny told me I was beautiful and I didn't know how to believe it. So I started to cry. And I was like, dang, this is dark. This is a dark moment it's- in this book. And I was like, right? this is this actually is interesting that like a character is going to have to recover from that, that another character is going to have to recover from that kind of truth. That that is the that is the type of thing that can like break your life apart. And it's like a nothing moment after that. It's like it barely happened. He sends her flowers and she's like, oh, how embarrassing that I cried in a bathroom and you caught me. And Danny also does not bring it up and didn't seem to notice that it happened. So Yeah. Yep. Also, so here's the thing. She tells him, like, she gives a little white light. She's like, oh, I have a date. Just to sort of, like, you know, shove it in his face. And he says, what is the location of your date? Because he's a robot. And she tells him, and he's like, oh, I'm going to be there too. And so her solution is to then find a guy to be her date instead of just saying, oh, we decided to go somewhere else because we hate each other and I didn't want to spend the night being in the same place as you and knowing how you're going to act around my date. And then we later find out that she was like, why were you so persistent about it? And he's like, oh, because I thought you were lying. And then there's another point in the book. He's like, I always think that you're lying. Yep. He just says that. So there's no trust between them. There's no uh, feeling. There's no consent. And then, so we have to talk about the part where she gets sick. So through her own low self-esteem, because she neglects her own body, she gets sick. And he, like, takes care of her. And then that's how we introduce the fact that, like, his brother and dad are doctors and blah, blah, blah. And that's how we hear about the wedding and blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, it's just like... Oh, so now we're showing that he's actually nice because he's taking care of her when I think it would have been so much better. Because I forget what exactly, but she had, oh, because of the, because of the date, she'd already been vulnerable in Mm -hmm. front of him. And I feel like it would have been so much better if then he was the one who got sick and she made the choice to take care of him and we saw him be vulnerable. Because then, oh, he's an, he's an actual person instead of just like. Oh, he's just like at her house taking care of her because and then because then of power. It was super because weird. he had to be in because control of... of the situation. Like he right. could have just sent her then, home. What... He could have done anything, but nope, has mm-hmm. to control it. Yeah. And then when she went to his house for the first time, she went through the he watched her just walk through his entire apartment and just like open drawers, open cabinets look through his closet and they didn't talk and it was literally just her being like god i'm so weird right now 
like looking through his medicine cabinet. Yes, bitch, you are weird right now. What is happening? And then I love to. Oh my god, his whole his whole apartment was in sands and chocolate shades. It was so warm and cozy. And that sounds fucking ugly. But then he has an accent wall in his bedroom that is the color of her eyes. What color were her eyes? They were like a robin's egg blue. Oh, that's right. I remember it being weird because I was like, because for the longest time I couldn't tell, like, I thought she was blonde. And like, I feel like there was a line that said she was blonde. And then it comes out she Mm. has dark, dark hair that's almost black. And I was like, but she has blue eyes. What's happening here? I mean, I, I get it. It's fine. Yeah. But also, it, it makes no sense. It does happen. It does happen. But uh, of course, she has she has bushy, unruly hair that never does what she wants never. it to. And, 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 Let's and, follow and, that and, trope and, down the way. Oh, I okay. So, but like <sighs> the her getting sick. Um, I feel like the writer just put in the outline she gets sick and he takes care of her. And didn't really follow through, like, what was it? Was she, she didn't eat, so it wasn't food poisoning. Yeah, everybody said it was food poisoning, but she hadn't eaten for, like, a day and a half. It was obviously right. heat stroke, but everyone's uh, like, oh, no, it's food poisoning. It's fine. It was 100% internal bleeding. Like, because they were at a paintball oh, yeah. thing. And then she, like, took some bullets, like, paintball bullets for him. And, like, was black and blue down her tiny little body. Like, her entire, like, torso was just black and blue, and it said so. And I was like... Which is impressive, because she's such a small target. Such a small target. She did a great job. I would 100% say, take her to the goddamn hospital. She has internal bleeding. Like, she collapsed. She threw up. Mm -hmm. She was dizzy. She collapsed. Mm. Take her to the hospital. And then she hallucinated. She did the types of things you do when you have, one, internal bleeding, two, maybe sepsis. So I was like, ah! Yeah. But no, he went to a year of medical school and wants to be in control of the situation. So it's perfectly fine fine that he took her home and then called over his brother, who was just like, it's probably nothing. And then his brother says, oh, she's so cute. While she's sick in bed. Yeah, of an adult woman, and it's, like, the way it was, like, it seemed infantilizing, Yeah, the way that it was set up, because that's, because that's what we're led to believe, right? That every time somebody calls her cute, it's because they're infantilizing yeah. her. So then when the brother's like, oh, she's cute, it's like, uh No. This book was fucking awful. No, uh, we have, like, we have read some shit. Like some shit books that were um, self-published, and that they were shit straight books that were self-published, and I I mm-hmm. uh, would recommend those over this one. Yeah. Um, I was so upset that this got as much marketing as it did. That this got as much like power behind it. That it's USA Today bestseller. That it's soon to be motion picture. Whatever the fuck that means. Like even if it's not, I don't really know. Er- it's it's on IMDb. I love. Oh motherfuck! Yeah, the filming has started. Who is in it? What's happening? I didn't recognize any of the people, but also I haven't seen a new movie in like three years. So indeed, I don't know. and so like um no like no there are way better and I I, I think this is an Australian publisher because she's Australian. So let me just say William mm-hmm. Morrow. Um, we read a ghost book. 
that was by an Australian author and there was detectives. Let's mass market that one. Liked that one much better. I think I shit on that book too. It still too. wasn't good. It still wasn't good. Would read that one again over this one. <laughs> yep. 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 Also because it's significantly shorter. Uh, man, there was like things I wanted to read out loud to just show how awful things in this book were so that people wouldn't like assume we were just being assholes and dicks. But honest to God. Uh, Which is not untrue. But we have reason for it. Yeah, yeah, reasons. Yeah, reasons. Oh, okay, I think here's the section I want to read. Chapter 12. <laughs> I feel childish as I look at his rolled up white cuffs of one which of which now contains my DNA. Because she bled, gave her a rose, and then pulled it out of her hands very quickly. And its thorns cut her. So... It's so cute and romantic. Um, Yeah, he's glowering at his computer screen and has not spoken a word to me in hours. I'm royally fucked up. I'll dry clean your shirt, I offer, but he doesn't acknowledge me. I'll buy you a new one. I'm so sorry, Jot. He cuts me off. Did you think it'd be at all different today? I feel a lump in my throat. I begin to squeeze in my throat. Um... I'd hope so. Don't be mad. I'm not mad. His neck is red against his white collar. I'm telling you I'm sorry, and I just wanted to thank you for everything you did for me. And are those pretty daisies for me, then? I remember. This might fix everything. Wait, I did get you a present. I pull a little plastic cube topped with a red bow from my purse. I present it to him like a boxed Rolex. His eyes spark with unidentified emotion before he resumes his frown. Strawberries. You said how much you love them. The word love has probably never been said in this office, but it gives my voice a little weird tremor. And he looks at me sharply. I'm surprised you remember anything at all. He puts the strawberries in his out tray and logs back into his computer. After several more minutes of silence, I try again. Can I pay you back for everything? The balance has shifted dramatically between us and I'm in his debt now. I owe him. Tell me what I can do. I will do anything. What I want to say is speak to me, engage with me. I can't fix it if you ignore me. I watch him type, his face expressionless, as a crash test dummy. He sta- stacks of sales figures are at his right side, and he slashes a green highlighter across them. Meanwhile, I'm at a complete loss, uh, uh, loss and at no ends. Do you know what happened? Uh, Danny came in and uh, gave her flowers. That was it. Yeah. That is literally so all that he, happened. So he should uh, make her bleed and then not talk to her anymore. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> I just have a few tiny th- other things. I'm sure we're going over long, but there's just like so much to talk about this book. Um, can we talk about the day that she wore a slutty dress for no reason? This was her only power play, by the way, in the entire book. Her only power play was that I'm going to wear a slutty dress. Yeah. So the thing is that when she's dis- when she pulls it out of her wardrobe and she's describing it, it sounded like a little slinkier, but still professional. And then she was wearing like nude diamond cut fishnets. And it's like, okay, okay. And she's into vintage. So I'm picturing like it's still relatively modest, but whatever. And then the next day, as soon as she shows up, she's like, why did I wear this fucking slutty dress? I'm like, I don't know, Lucy. Why did you wear that fucking <laughs> slutty dress? 
Because uh, yeah, uh, um, not enough narrative to tell me why, so. Right. Also, when they're at the wedding and she cries, he thinks that's weird. He thinks there's a reason why she's crying at the wedding. He's like, oh, is it because you're thinking about your own wedding? I think he might have accused her of thinking about a wedding with Danny or some shit like that. I'm like, have you, like, famously people cry at weddings. What is wrong with you? I'm like, what? Okay, but then two things that I did like. One, the convention of him wearing his shirts in the same order. Like, he, all of his shirts were the exact same shirt in, like, mm-hmm. ten different colors, and he wore them in the same order every time. So it would be like, oh, it was a, a mustard yellow Wednesday, or it was a, you know, a black Friday or whatever. That was kind of fun. Um, and then I will say that when he does tell her that he was an asshole to her because he was in love with her, she's like, oh, and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, he did apologize. Not enough. But he did. Like, he began... He, he Okay, he apologized for being rude to her that first time that they met. He didn't apologize for any of his subsequent behavior. Nope. So, and that's all, that's all I have. Other than just, like, listeners, don't, don't read this book. Nope. Don't read this book. Don't read this book. Congratulations, we read this book so you don't have to. So many of these books, we tell you, go ahead, read them, enjoy them. Don't read this book. Steal this book and then uh, make collages out of the pages for cool art craft projects. (laughs) I wish we had um, uh, our Patreon set up so that our listeners could pay us, like, reparations for (laughs) having read this book. Yeah, I mean, let's just put this book to bed. Here we are. That was that book. That was that book conventionally yours true colors book one by annabeth albert and amazon best book of the year 2020 a true colors lgbt romance for fans of red white and blue royal blue and geekerella set in the world of gaming conventions and fandom when two big big name fans go head to head at a convention love isn't the only thing at stake Charming, charismatic, and effortlessly popular, Conrad Stewart seems to have it all, but in reality, he's scrambling to keep his life from tumbling out of control. Brilliant, guarded, and endlessly driven, Alden Roth may as well be the poster boy for perfection, but even he can't help but feel a little broken inside. When these two mortal enemies are stuck together on a cross-country road trip to the biggest fan convention of their lives, their infamous rivalry takes a back seat as an unexpected connection is forged. Yet each has a reason why they have to win an upcoming Odyssey gaming tournament, and neither is willing to let emotion get in the way, even if it means giving up their one chance at something truly magical. That's what that book says it's about. (laughs) Neil. I'm only now realizing after you read that, that it didn't say either of their last names in the book once. No, never. I, this is, I was, I was also like, when I looked at it, I was like, really? Those are. Oh, (laughs) that? Okay. Good to know. Okay. 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 Other than that, the, and that, that description is, um, like it's, it, does a, a middling job of describing this book. I feel that that cover doesn't do this book justice. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Okay, so 
here's the love portion of the hate to love episode. This book is marvelous. Oh, it was so lovely. It it's, was like falling into a warm bath and just it's the so characters were so well drawn. Yes. Everything that Lucy and Josh did wrong, Conrad and Alden do right. Right. So let's get into it. Conrad and Alden, along with their friends Peyton and Jasper, are part of a, in the book it says vlog, which leads me to believe that it was written a few years ago and took a bit to be published, and that were it updated I, a bit, it'd I think be like they a just streaming weren't allowed channel. to say YouTube for some reason. Well, yeah, but they could say like streaming channel because there's also like Twitch and Discord and, you know, anyway. Um, so they're part of a the equivalent of a streaming channel called uh, Gaming Grandpa, where yeah. a Professor Tuttle, which such a good name, um, and and the the four younger men. Uh, it's a streaming channel about their favorite card game called Odyssey, and there's more to that name, but it's basically Magic the Gathering. It is one hundred percent Magic the Gathering with a little flavor. Yeah, um, and so the the thrust of the channel is um, Professor Tuttle, despite being an older man, is like, oh no, it's great for everyone because, and like they collectively get into like the strategy of gameplay and blah blah blah. And part of one of the f unintentional features of the channel is that Conrad and Alden butt heads often, and that we find out as the book progresses that that sort of friction is one of the things that some people love about the channel or they like take sides in it. Like there's, I think one point where somebody was talking to like some random fan was talking to Conrad about how obnoxious Alden was. And he was excited to see him wit, excuse me, see him win. So blah, blah, blah. So, um, they get invited to, uh, Odyssey Con West something, um, in, Vegas, which is the big convention for this card game. And they're in New Jersey, and they've been invited to go. Professor Tuttle's been invited to some of the panels, and they've also been invited to participate in the tournament that happens there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, great, great. But then we find out two things. One, Conrad is... Um, his finances are extremely limited mm -hmm. there's a point where somebody mentions like oh you don't have this new card or whatever and in his head in the narration it's like no i i had to spend that 40 dollars on food mm -hmm. so he's definitely he's in pretty dire straits and he's like i can't afford a plane ticket because the the convention is covering the cost of the ticket the entry to the tournament and the hotel, but they have to get themselves there and feed themselves. And he's like, I don't, I don't have the fucking money. And then we jump into Alden's head and Alden is afraid to fly. And he's like, I, I want to go so badly, but I'm afraid to fly. And they both are like, about it. And professor Tuttle's like, ah, ha ha. I have an idea. <laughs> You have a big fucking car. <laughs> so, yeah. So basically he proposes that anyone who doesn't want to fly will pile into his car with him. They'll drive from New Jersey to Las Vegas, stopping 
off at local game shops along the way, interacting with fans, plugging the channel, also like promoting the store on their channel, all that kind of stuff. Um, and everyone's like, great, this solves all of our problems. <laughs> great. But then, as they're getting ready to leave, Professor Tuttle falls down a flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say, like, one of the best parts about this is that everything that can go wrong kind of ends, it goes wrong. And, like, mm -hmm. and sometimes it seems to be just a fuck with Alden because, like, Alden is, like, needs so many things to be perfect. Mm -hmm. and And, like... So the professor falls down the stairs. They have to get him to the hospital. And so that means they have to drive. But at least they have this buffer person of J of Jasper who's coming along with them. Mm -hmm. So Jasper's coming. But then Jasper has a family emergency first night. And they have to get him on a plane back to New Jersey because they're going to keep going. But Jasper's out now. So they don't have this human buffer either mm -hmm. that's going to, like, be the middle person. So now it's just the two of them. Right. And this is when we start to, like get to really understand the characters and then on top of that why they um don't get along with each other and something something that i thought was so well done is that um one of alden's beefs with conrad is that alden because they they're all like just out of college age and they're in a college town and like um I think Alden Alden has graduated, Jasper has graduated, Peyton is about to graduate, and Conrad actually had to drop out. And one of the things that Alden, that drives Alden crazy about Conrad is that he seems to, like, not take anything as seriously as Alden does. And that he also has this reputation as sort of, like, being a party guy and sort of, like, sleeping around a bit. And... Alden doesn't judge him for sleeping around, but sees it as sort of part of the behavior of someone who isn't taking things seriously like they should. Mm -hmm. Like, he never calls him a slut or anything like that. But it's like, oh, you just would rather go to parties and get laid than do these things that you should be doing. But then we find out Conrad, um, he was outed to his family in a really terrible way. And so he was uh, cut off while in school and he refused to go home. So he's having to like get by on a string of like shitty part-time jobs that all seem to fall through for one reason or another. And the and, charity of those people around him. And the charity of the people around him. But we find out that Conrad sort of helps perpetuate his own reputation for being a party guy as a way to keep people from finding out his financial situation. Yeah. And that was just like, like so one realistic of something that a person would do. And two, like, so it was a really, like a really exciting moment to read that and to realize that as a reader. And then to see Alden realize it himself again, like it, it paid off so well. No, it did. But then also like the switch off. Cause there's Alden who Conrad sees as having the perfect family, which he doesn't have like that. Alden was 
lucky enough to have like gay parents like you know these two women who were wonderful and like who were supportive and also did have enough money to get him through all the things and really had all these high hopes for him there was a great argument that they had later where because one of the things that Alden has to face is that he isn't neurotypical (laughs) and he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want that to be how he's defined, but he also is sort of in a middle point of like coming to terms with it himself as an adult and what it means to be an adult um, and how to move forward and kind of leave the, the grasp of his overbearing parents who want so much for him. And so like both of them have these different kinds of privileges where Conrad is charming and gregarious and handsome and like knows how to use those things. And even Conrad knows he's handsome. He's not like one of those characters who's like, me? Pretty? What? He fucking knows. (laughs) He 100% is aware of his own like, you know, you know, looks. And I think Mm -hmm. like, whereas like He also knows that he's charming. Right. And he, and like Alden sees that as a privilege that he doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And so, and he gives that all of the things that Conrad has as those privileges that he himself doesn't have. And then Conrad looks at Alden and sees like the support, the family support structure and those things as a privilege that he doesn't have. And they both look at each other as if they're throwing those privileges at each other's faces when they also don't know the struggles that they're both going through. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if this writer thought out her characters Could in a way be. that built in tension, but also had payoff when they discussed their feelings. <laughs> and now we can also talk about like how they're both like, Ooh, sorry. No, nope, shut up. Nobody wants you. Um, <laughs> Christine, leave that in. That was hilarious. Um, so, but we can also like see like because you, you talked about isolation and main characters being isolated from other people and both of these characters have a certain amount of isolation that they're going through in this moment but mm-hmm. both of them also have like larger structures of support that they can lean on like Alden is doesn't have a friend network that he can lean on but he has a really tight family network mm-hmm. That even though it's overbearing right now, he also knows that's a temporary situation. And that as angry as he is at his parents, he loves them dearly. And he knows his sisters will be there for him. And consequently also want him to be a doctor if that was like a funny coincidence between these two books. And that he himself doesn't want that for himself, but also doesn't know what he wants. Conrad is also literally like cut off from his family, but opposite wise has a large friend support network. Like a lot of, like a lot of people who aren't with him as much anymore because they were, he didn't understand them to be temporary friends when he had everything going for him. And Mm -hmm. now that he's had to like focus on just survival, but he has a lot like the support network from this a particular gaming group, the the adults around him who want the best for him, who've taken the place of his family, and like his immediate friends who've been like stuck with him that whole time, even if they don't know his entire story. And so like we see two people with important support networks that they mm-hmm. can lean on mm-hmm. who are both suffering from certain types of isolation so then they can lean on each other and fill in those parts. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's how you do that. Like, yes. that's, 
you don't have to be cut off from every motherfucker in the world ever. Right. And live in a cone of silence. Right. <laughs> and, like, it... The fact that Lucy has no friends, to me, is inexplicable. The fact that Alden doesn't have friends is because of his neurodiversity and because of his difficulties with certain social interactions. Like, mm-hmm. there's a reason why he has so few close friends like it makes sense another thing that i really enjoyed about this book is both of these characters got super into the game as a way to escape from dealing with a thing Mm -hmm. and over the course of the book they realize it and then because they have supported each other not bullied each other not manipulated each other not disparaged and negated each other's feelings because they supported each other they then have the ability to deal with that thing that they were avoiding dealing with and we see them do it in the book and it feels so warm and squishy when they do like it's it's great i would also say like the two like even though they kind of hint like maybe you know our i think the line is our brains are catching up to something our bodies were telling us from a long time ago Mm-hmm. But kind of what I actually think is they grew up like like these are not two. There's a reason they didn't fall in love at first sight when they first met each other and became rivals. They were actually literally different people. Like mm-hmm. they they could not have like the way that they've grown together as people over the years that they've known each other and didn't know that's what was happening uh, is like important and part of their growth and there's also important when they're finally alone together or even i think jasper's in the car at this point but when they're finally alone together conrad realizes that alden's like anxieties and struggles are part of who he is and not just like something to be annoyed about and like takes that into account when he's making decisions and is no longer like and is like calm and, like, understands that this is what we need to get through this moment and makes Alden comfortable. And on the other hand, when Alden finds out about Conrad's financial situation, he and, and knows that Conrad is um, very reluctant to talk about it and very reluctant to accept what he considers charity, Alden sort of maneuvers, like, Alden sort of orders extra food for himself but then with the intention of giving it to Conrad to make sure that he's like getting enough to eat and all of that, which was cute to see. And it was, it was precious anyway. So um, after Jasper has to leave, they're on the road and they're going to, they're stopping at all these different places and um, going to these local game shops. um, And we meet the, different characters and it's very obvious that this author has spent time in game shops and has met people who spend time in game shops um and like the like i kind of don't want to get into the whole journey of them falling in love with each other because like i want people to go read this book and i know on the show we spoil the hell out of everything but like Go read this book. And then it's also just like, to summarize it, they learn about each other, learn that their perceptions of the other were incorrect or um, founded in something else. And then they just continue to support Mm -hmm. each other and and grow as people. 
There were times on the road trip where I felt like too many things happened in a day that seemed kind mm, yeah. of impossible to have all happened. And, like, sometimes that took me out of it. Because, like, the day that Jasper had to leave to go to his family's emergency... And then all of the things that happened before they got into the hotel room and were alone in that hotel room together was like, oh, that was one day. Holy motherfucking <laughs> shit. Was like, it was yeah. like, that was almost too much. And it, that almost took me out of it a little bit. But on the other hand, like the writer did so much good research about other things that I was, I believed in the track that they took. I believed in the places that they were in. And I was like, okay, I'm going to suspend disbelief. I'm going to give the author the benefit of the doubt that it's possible to have done all of these things, even though I don't think it is. But, um, but yes, no, I agree. Like that romance on the way to them falling for each other was I think genuine and good. I felt like the L word was thrown around too quickly for me. <laughs> so yeah, the, it it went from oh I like this person to okay let's be hooking up to oh maybe this is something that we can continue after this whole trip. That all went very quickly, and then they went from that to I'm in love with this person, and their happiness is more important than anything very quickly and i was telling this to a friend of mine who's also gay and he's like well that's very homosexual of them and i was like i stand corrected <laughs> that's very I stand corrected. homosexual of them <laughs> yeah yeah we 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 go big we go fast we go extra so <laughs> So we're going to give that to them as well. <laughs> so we're going to give it to um, them. Um, and I loved, too, that they that the trip came about them traveling together. Like, they kind of forgot about the tournament coming up. And especially that they might have to play against each other until they actually get to Vegas. And then they're like, oh, shit. We both want to win so badly but only one of us can and now it's not a matter of beating out that guy that kind of bothers me but now it's like against the person that i love and alden wanted to do it as sort of like to prove to his moms and then that he didn't need to do what they wanted him to do and then also that he could find his own path and Conrad wanted to do it so that he had a chance at a job so that he could afford things like rent and his very important medicine. <laughs> In my mind, those struggles are yeah, not balanced. Yeah, I would definitely balanced. say Conrad's stakes were higher. Yeah, yeah. And there, I, <laughs> I did appreciate that there was a moment that Alden realized that. That he's like, oh, I don't need to win this to actually figure out what I want to do with my life. Conrad could actually need to win this so that he could live. Mm -hmm. So I did appreciate that, that, that the author and the characters acknowledged that the stakes were not quite balanced. <laughs> uh, no, uh. I, I agree. But I, what I also liked about that was that it actually felt like it didn't just feel like, oh, I love this person so much. I want them to have this. It felt like a growth moment for Alden that he himself like 
grew as a person that day that I'm not always going to be able to feel direct empathy with everybody around me all the time, but I'm going to find moments of empathy that I can use to inform me about what's happening. And then also I can recognize other people's struggles maybe are larger than mine. Mm -hmm. And like that, I think he hadn't actually taken that in before that he knew that was a truth, but he hadn't engaged in that really himself. Mm -hmm. And so I thought like, this is a growth moment as a person. So even if like Alden and Conrad broke up or weren't together anymore, he would actually carry that on with the rest of his life. Yes. And it wasn't just about Conrad. Yeah. Um, Really fast. When they show up at the convention, they, they meet up with Peyton, who's also, um, on their channel and who flew out and sort of met them there. Can we talk about Peyton really fast? Yes, please. <laughs> they are fabulous and they really are <laughs> there to party and get laid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just absolutely. They're like, Oh, I really hope I don't win on, on Friday because I'm not prepared to like care about what happens on Saturday. Yeah. I want to get drunk and I want yeah. to get laid. And I want yeah. like, if I have to care about what happens, Oh, it's going to ruin my night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they had a, like uh, a unicorn hoodie that had like a long rainbow mane. And it was, uh, anyway, I just wanted to bring them up because they were fabulous. And then of course, um, they serve the purpose of, oh, even at the convention, all of a sudden, Conrad and Alden have to deal with someone from their old life who sees them as enemies. And like, oh, what do we tell people? How do we do this? Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so then they go through and they play their different tournaments. Um, one of the few things that irked me a little bit about this book is as they were playing each of them, this happened to Conrad and Alden a couple times each, that as they're playing a game and they're not doing great, they have this monologue going through their head. And the monologue is important because mm-hmm. it's like character development as they're playing the game. Also, sorry, really quick aside, I love that each of them played the the way that they approached playing the game was the way that they approached life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I thought that was thematically well done. It was great. Anyway, so they're playing and they're not doing well and they're trying to figure out what to do. And again, this happened multiple times and they have this monologue and then they have the moment of like, oh, it's like it came out of thin air. Wait a second. Air. I can attack from the air. And it's just like. Oh, yeah. I hated that as well. I was like, come on. That happened a couple of times. And I was like, okay, like once I can forgive, but beyond that, sure, whatever. Anyway, so then um, I enjoyed their time in Vegas with between Conrad and Alden sort of like having to navigate a new relationship on top of, okay, we might have to play against each other. We both want to win. How do we talk about this? And something that I enjoyed was Alden seeing other people in the convention and how they behaved with each other. Like the, um, those two chicks that he saw making out in the broom closet or whatever. It's like, oh, they, they're uh-huh. on, like, completely different teams, but they're still, like, hooking up and, like, oh, like, the, like, the, the, how the game ends up doesn't have to determine your relationship with someone. Um, yeah. 
but then they have and it, to. And I think this shows like how you use a central set piece of a of a trope in a book, mm-hmm. and how you use that to further the characters, and how you use that to like learn more about how they're going to be. Like whereas in the Hating Game, the central set piece being that uh, interview and how they were going in the presentation and what they would have to do that we decided to just not fucking do at all. Here we have the central set piece that continues to act as problems, but also as character growth mm-hmm. and like how their relationship is going to play out and how they've come together and the things that they've learned on the way to the central set piece. Mm-hmm. And it was like, no, this, this is how this, this was how that other book was supposed to work. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. like, this yep. was the, anyway. So then, um, Alden and Conrad have to play each other in the semifinals. <gasps> and they both, they both promised each other, don't throw the game. Play as, play as well as you can, as hard as you can. And whatever happens, we'll deal with it. And then that part is from Alden's perspective, because this book also switches perspectives. And I honestly cannot understand why the other book didn't, but... What do I know? I don't have a book being made into a motion picture, major motion picture. So what do I know for anything? Um, (laughs) So from Alden's perspective, we see that he genuinely did play his best. And and normally Alden wins against Conrad because Alden can afford the fancy cards. He's very good at strategizing, whereas Conrad has like... um, He's sort of like bobs and weaves improvises. and impro- he improvises. Yeah. Um, so whenever they play against each other, 9.5 times out of 10, Alden wins. So when they're playing against each other and we're in Alden's head and we see that Alden genuinely lost the game, but Conrad thinks that Alden threw the game. So he's very upset and they get into a fight and blah, blah, blah. And then, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then Conrad has to go and play the final. And I could have done with like a little more of the actual card play just because it was fun to see like the different types of cards and knowing the little that I know of Magic the Gathering and how it works and being able to like visualize the, the, the game play. I would have liked to have done a little more, especially in the last like the the very last one. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Conrad wins, um, and then he's approached by um, Amelda, who's the creator of the game, who was chic and marvelous. <laughs> like I want to be friends with her, and she was like, "Uh huh." Let's let's have dinner, you and I. And he's like, "I have to go talk to my." She's like, "I have an offer that I think you'll appreciate." So then, blah, 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 blah. They deal with their feelings. They meet up. They both apologize. They realize that they all they ever wanted to do was to support each other. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And then um, the, the offer from Imelda was for every, everyone on Gaming Grandpa to go and work for Odyssey at their head offices to help them do game development and for conrad he's like yes and like i get to move to new york i have this fancy job blah 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 and then he talks to alden and alden's like actually i think i want to be a teacher and conrad's like but (laughs) 
but the game and 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 they're doing they're developing a game for younger kids so you can like teach them when you test play and all like, yeah that does sound really cool but i think i want to be a teacher i guess we'll have to do long distance and comrades like they have teaching programs in new york so <laughs> you're fine man right and then oh my god the conversation with his mom with alden with his mom when he's like i want to be a teacher and she's like Oh well, a prof- you were worrying about publishing, but like blah blah. He's like, no, 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 not a professor. Like, I want to be like an elementary school teacher. And she's like, well, no, no, no. You should get your PhD in educational administration, so you you can at least be a principal or something important. Blah blah blah. And he's like, no, no. I I want to teach children because something. And this was it was set up very well throughout the book that he he feels that he can um, interact with children better because they don't have pretense. Like there isn't the filter right. of like the unwritten social contract. Like he knows what he's getting when he's interacting with a child. And he's like, yeah, I want to be a teacher. So that, that was like, as much as I wanted to be, to, to like the moms, they were one of them, especially was kind of awful to be like, Oh, well, no, be principal or something important. And he's like, no, teachers are important. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway. So at the, at the end, cuts to six months later, um, Conrad is there in New York. Conrad is working at Odyssey and he's loving it. Alden is finishing uh, or working on his teaching credentials. He's about to do his student teacher rotations. He's super excited about it. And it's cute and wonderful and lovely. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah, not also, there are have kids. They're just like. On Not, their way. Because yeah. they're still like, like 20. Because they're like, what, 23, 24? Oh, they're 22 at most because yeah. uh, Conrad just turned 21. Like, because I remember uh, Alden points that out. Oh, yeah, you're right. So th- they are wee babes. They have perfect lives. Wee babes. I, I, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Every decision that I've made was a good one, right? Anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, the drawings, there are drawings in this book. Oh, it's, and they're so cute. They're so cute. And then also, like, this made my heart smile. At the end of the book is a section for resources to find a local gaming shop, to get involved with tabletop games, to get involved with, like, online gaming, with an eye specifically towards... LGBTQ plus supportive communities and communities uh, for mm-hmm. women of color. Yep. Yay. And then there's the next book, uh, Out of Character, which is... Which is about Jasper. Oh, and that's about Jasper. Yeah. This this book made my heart shine. Like, same. I hope that... Same, same. I hope there's a third book for Peyton. But yeah. No, I really also enjoyed it. It also made my <sighs> heart feel good. Ah. Oh. So that was that book. Sorry, one oh. last thing. There, One last thing. There was a point where Alden said that when he was in fourth grade, he wrote an essay about why Pluto should be reclassified as a planet. And I felt so fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck, man. Oh. Really? You're going to do that to me, Annabeth Welcome. Albert? All right. Yeah. 
Yeah. <sighs> Welcome. Welcome. We're all anyway, old up here. It's, it's <laughs> <laughs> this this book was so sparkly and lovely and everybody should go read it. It was it was delightful. It was and it was it was just wonderful. I would also say I, I read part of this book through listening to it on audio. Mm-hmm. And there are two different actors who do the, the different voices. Oh. So so Conrad and Conrad and Alden are played by two different actors and both of them do a good job and are interesting to listen to. And both of them also play, you know, they have to um uh, they have to like pretend, you know, do the voices for the other one, mm-hmm. and they you can tell the actors actually met up and actually listened to each other because they're doing each other's voices. So it's like a radio play. It's yeah, it is. I love and it. It's well done. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay, that was yeah. that book. That was that book. Are you ready? Are you ready? Claire, I'm picking people that we we it'll be hard to choose because we like them all so much. Because it's 2021 has been rough already, so I'm not going to make us choose between horrible people. So, fuck, Mary kill, Peyton, Ellen, and Imelda. Ooh, Peyton, Ellen, and Melda. Um, okay. Hmm. Okay. I am going to marry Imelda mm-hmm. because one, I think she's a CEO of Wizards of the Coast. Essentially. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Two, she sees talent and she's like, get on my staff. (laughs) Get in my car. You're coming with me. And like, you know, (laughs) that's great. She also sees top players in the game who also like are good with people and are like, no, no, no. I'm going to make money off of this. I'm going to pay you so I can make more money off of this. Everybody should do that. People who are good (laughs) at the game but aren't assholes. Because right. she wasn't going up Our to the, the asshole are not players assholes. offering them jobs. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Nope. And appreciate that. Appreciated Great. that. Um, I am going to... Uh, oh, I'm going to fuck Jasper because Jasper sounds like a great time. Peyton. Oh, Peyton. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. Peyton. Because Peyton sounds like a great yeah. time. I apologize. Um, yeah. Uh, Peyton sounds like a great time. Uh, just, I, I, I don't mean to make them sound interchangeable because these two characters are not. They're very different in so many ways. Um, but they but, are each uh, only I in the book I think what I was thinking bit. mostly, right, I think mostly what I was thinking was like, well, I'm going to kill Helene. And I'm going to kill her not because of anything she did wrong, but because of my choices with the other two, but also I'm just going to kill everything that came out of that book. So I'm sorry, <laughs> Helene, you were the... You were the best thing to come out of that book, and yet you can't tell the difference between a stale macaron and <laughs> not. So sorry, Helene. Goodbye. I'm assuming she just didn't say anything because she like she was she nice understood the it. gesture. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna do the same. I'm also gonna marry Imelda because I mean, like, 
a, a very fabulous, chic, successful older woman. What's not to love? Um, What's not I'm going to gonna fuck Peyton because they are probably very good at it. The, yeah, yeah. 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 They know what they're doing. And super yeah. fun. Super fun. And then I, I wish I could rescue Elena. I really could. But I also feel like being married to her, you'd have to listen to her kvetch about the other CEO. I forget his name. Um, Lucy called him Fat Little Dick. So I guess his name was Richard. She called him Fat Little Dick. But if you were married to Elaine, like your whole day would be listening to her complain about him. I, I don't. Yep. I don't need that. So, I'm you sorry, Elaine. Them's the rules. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I am going to for my fuck Mary kill. I'm going to lean on the um the products that we had thrown in our faces great, for great, this great. particular set. And Great. so it is Fuck Mary Kill Smurfs, uh-huh. uh, Matchbox Cars, uh-huh. or Magic the Gathering. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to marry Magic the Gathering. Excellent. <laughs> because, yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's high fantasy, which is everything I love. Um it's a, it's the most social of the things. And I know, like, this book did touch on the fact that there are some, like, pretty toxic people in the gaming community. And so I'd have to deal with that. I mean, outside of the toxicity of, of the gaming community itself, like, I, I, played Ma- I played Magic the Gathering a little bit in high school mm-hmm. and kind of just when it was coming out. So then the immediate thing that this book does touch on is that if you cannot afford to get more cards, you cannot play this game. Like, yeah. like, that, like there is a level where you have to stop. Like it's not going to be fun anymore. And not only that, like you can't like the amount of like information you have to constantly download about this game like it is a capitalist game Mm -hmm. because it absolutely wants you to continue buying into it like Mm -hmm. you cannot like like i couldn't come to a game with like my deck from which i still have like from high school (laughs) because none of those cards would be good anymore like you know so it's like i made a joke to somebody about spore cards and like (laughs) and like they're like, what? And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know what that is either. <laughs> right, exactly. Sorry. I'm, who's old now? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so, yeah. So, like, that that was always my problem with Magic the Gathering. Yeah, more than, is, like, the other which players. Which is fair. Unlike, unlike something like D&D, where it's like, oh, once you have the basic rules, that's fine. And then also you can make up your own rules and nobody's going to get mad at you for it. Right. Or and it's not like Warhammer where you also have to like acquire so many bits and pieces. Oh my god, yeah. Anyway, but I I mean I'm still gonna marry Magic the Gathering. Fair. Just cause, you know. Um I guess I'll I guess I'll fuck matchbox cars. <laughs> um only because not I didn't have very many Matchbox cars growing up, but I did. I was, for a while, I was super into Micro Machines. I don't know if Mm. either of you remember. Oh, yeah. For listeners who don't know, it was Matchbox cars, but tiny on play sets. I had one, it was like 
or maybe my cousin did, I don't remember. It was like a a minivan that was a a little uh, smaller than a loaf of bread, but then it would open up and there was a whole city inside and then you would move, move the little cars through the cities and Anyway, so I guess I'll fuck Matchbox car. I don't, I don't know. And then I'm gonna kill Smurfs just because I like I have absolutely no affinity to Smurfs whatsoever. Um, I am going to kill Smurfs. Uh, also, absolutely no affinity towards them. Um, Matchbox cars. I I remember truly. I I still have a couple, but I remember truly enjoying them. So like as a kid and like listening to like the sound they make as they roll across the the you know the tile floor and like just the crashing in them into each other or like taking them down the plastic uh, the plastic ramps or whatever. This they were hardy. Fun. They well yeah like Matchbox cars were hardy and like they were made of metal. They were die cast. Um, uh, and then magic, th- but I think um, I'm probably going to fuck Matchbox cars, but like without like worrying about it too much, it seems nice. And then I'm going to marry Magic the Gathering. Um, I'm sorry. The, the hand waving of like, <laughs> oh, it's fuck, fuck Matchbox cars. I'm sure it's nice. We don't need to get into it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to marry is... Magic the Gathering. It wasn't. It wasn't the game that I left my childhood with feeling with like really great feelings about like mm-hmm. but a couple of good memories and like you know and I enjoy what it's inspired in the rest of the gaming community like so yeah 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 there we go yep okay and the books oh um gee I wonder oh, it's so hard um well, I hated the Hayden game, and I loved Conventionally Yours, so I'm going to say I'm going to kill the Hayden game, and I'm going to marry Conventionally Yours. Yeah, I want to do the same. And, like, there, again, like I said, there are certain things about the Hayden game. That's like, if this, if these characters were two completely different people, this would actually be kind of a great book. Um, and that line, my stomach made a goblet noise, like... <laughs> I love it. It's so good. But yeah, it was it was it was nuts. It was nuts and toxic and awful. Um and conventionally yours was like so like I wish that book existed when I was like coming to terms with my own sexuality in late middle school, early high school. Like it, it just would have been I know that that book would have just been so inspirational to me because at the time um the majority of queer literature was tragic whereas this is about two younger queer men learning about each other supporting each other and then also being big nerds about it yeah which is always great huh there was also a line in conventionally yours when Alden and Conrad were sort of talking about their feelings for each other and um, Alden was like well I don't know if your type includes uh, short nerdy Jewish guys and I was like hold my beer because point point me towards one right now (laughs) yes and yes (laughs) god so yeah um and of all the characters, Claire. Oh, of all the characters, um, 
This is hard because in some ways, like conventionally yours, as much as I really did enjoy it, it it's it broaches a little bit on YA, mm-hmm. and uh, as we've talked about, like congratulations for YA being a thing. It's not mine, <laughs> and I don't <laughs> I don't go into those books all that much. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I feel like. I really did like Conrad and I felt like Conrad was a fun person. So, and also like just what they, what he was going through, but also like, you know, being charismatic and fun and understanding and a good guy in general. So I think I would happily marry Conrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like, Oh, I, I would, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna fuck Peyton. Like, mm-hmm. Peyton would seem like, oh, just oodles of fun. (laughs) But also not interested in anything long term. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I wouldn't want to, like, tamp them down at all. Right, right, right. (laughs) Like, having sex with them, you know, you both know going into it. Like, we're just going to have fun for a night. And that's enough. That's fine. Yeah. 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 And I... I think I'm going to kill Joshua Templeman because I think Lucy, even though she's probably uh, a person, she's a hateful person, by the way. She, the thoughts in her head are awful. Like she never has pleasant thoughts about other people. Um, Mm -hmm. It is very rare for her first thought about anybody to be pleasant at all. And mm-hmm. in fact, she doesn't even see people in her eyeline, more or less. So, like, um, she is an awful person. But I am going to um, kill Joshua because I think he's the worst of the two of them. And I think mm-hmm. Lucy's life is going to be better without him in all the ways. And in so many ways. Uh, I would do the exact same for all of those. Excellent. For all the I'm same like... reasons. <laughs> well, there we are. Neil. Yes. I think it's time for our favorite game. It's time for our favorite game. Christine, yes! Okay. Okay, I'm ready. So, our, our next two books are Good Girls Do, Berkeley Sensation, by Kathy Linz and by the book by Scarlett Parrish. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it's a very Claire selection this time. Oh, okay. Um, In the sense that it's like, oh, is it teachers? Is it uh, car rides? Is it... Uh, hot dog stands. You just don't know. Oh, and, and it could also be just some, like, a, <laughs> a trope. <laughs> and it could just be a trope. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say it is, dang, like, I want to say, like, university students or something, because, like, there seems to be a book theme, but we've done that, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. professors is probably not it. And then the good because we did professors. And the good girl when I was like, ah, that sounds like Catholic school, but that's more porn, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I 
went against absolutely everything <laughs> I believe in, and we're reading a book about an 18-year-old girl falling in love with a 45-year-old man. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> don't want that. No. I Although bet that we ex- haven't done we haven't done May December romance. We've done yet. a few accidental May December romances. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. What do you think, Claire? Do you have any guesses? Um I mean, both of them seem like good girl. Like that if I were to do like I guess so if we were doing it Neil, it's just it's the good girl. It's a good girl. Um, but I guess if we're doing it Claire, then I'm going to say it's ice cream. <gasps> I wish. <laughs> Going with ice cream. Uh, airports. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one, actually. That would I'm be sure a good exist. one. No. Yeah. Lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're getting a little warmer. Mm. Oh, we're with, thinking with lawyers. Uh, okay, good girl. Um, prison guards. Discipline. No. because <laughs> of discipline. Oh. Okay. Judges. It's the judiciary. It's. <laughs> Supreme Court judges. No. no. Two romance novels with the ghost of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> um, I don't yeah, know. I, I give don't up. Know. Do you give up? Librarians. Oh, my God. <gasps> oh, what were we doing? Of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Oh. I, yes, yes, librarians. So apparently, I'm doing all the book ones, like <laughs> writers, librarians. You did bookstores. I did bookstores. Oh, those books. Um, so yeah, next time we are reading librarians, and I am very excited. One of them, uh, girl, good girls do. The cover is a woman on the back of a motorcycle with glasses as she's letting her librarian bun uh-huh. down. So we'll see what happens there. I'm either going to love it or hate it. Uncontrollable hair. <laughs> Maybe you'll start yeah. to hate it and then you'll grow to love it. Yeah. Cause that always works yeah. for me. No. <laughs> oh no. Oh, so there was a, uh, something else I wanted to say really fast about these books is knowing that they're going to end up together. I'm extra critical of their behavior at the beginning to each other. And Josh and Lucy were fucking monsters to each other to the point that it is inexcusable. Whereas like Conrad and Alden were just like kind of dicks to each other sometimes. And in the workplace too is what I'm gathering, right? I know. They also said very inappropriate things to each other in the workplace. My HR would not be having it. No. Poor <laughs> Jeanette in HR. Like, she she was the unsung hero of that book. Anyway, we're done. We're done talking about those books. So, thank you, Claire. No, thank you, Neil. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. Yay. Thank you, authors. Thank you so much, authors. Thank you, listeners. 
Thank you, Thank listeners. You, listeners. We love you tremendously. We will give so you much, hugs so much, so when much. we see you again. Yeah. Please, if you like what we do here, tell your friends about it. Um, rate, review, subscribe, all of that business. Mm-hmm. Follow us on um, Twitter. Yeah. That's where Claire lives. Yeah. I mean, Claire lives on her Twitter, but not <laughs> enough on the FMK lit Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, then I guess all we have left to say is if you can do so safely, consensually, without having to emotionally manipulate someone or be emotionally manipulated by someone else, keep.